Thanks for listening. You can find out more and be heard by going to herdimmunitypod.com. Now that my eight-year-old son is into woodworking and tapes American Woodshop, <laughs> uh, I was out in the garage this weekend, and uh, I was I was cutting something on a miter saw, and I really I thought for a split second I should have gloves on, and then I was like, eh, I'm just chopping through something, and I got a splinter in my middle finger on my left hand, and I thought, oh no, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna turn into Corey's dad, and they're gonna <laughs> cut my finger off. And I squeezed it so much until the, until blood was coming out, and I could not get the splinter out. And then, uh, luckily, last night it came out. Nice. Own, so that's awesome. I'm happy to report I didn't have a traumatic splinter occurrence. Um, I don't I don't know if he's ready for this or not yet, but um, you know Nick Offerman is an incredible woodworker. You know Nick Offerman from Parks and Rec, uh, Ron Swanson. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, and like, like I say, I, as funny as he is, he is equally as like serious slash funny about woodworking. It's incredible. Like if you ever watch mm-hmm. any of his stuff, he, he can name woods by their smell. Like, I mean, it's, it's fun. Fa- it's phenomenal. Yeah. I've seen some of that stuff. He's great. All right. So let's, let's do follow up. Let's talk follow up. Um, I hate you. And I love you all at the same time because John Mark McMillan is fantastic. Yeah. Fan stinking tastic. Was last week the first time you listened to him? Yes. I've never oh. I've never listened to him, although like I now recognize certain songs that I know very well from hearing them in other other mechanisms. Um it's he's just good. Like he's weird at first. So Josh, to your point about like the progression thing, mm-hmm. I, I get that feel. Like it's just kind of strange at first, but then man, once I don't know. It like something clicked, and um, it's really good. I, I haven't listened to what'd you say? The last one is Mercury and Lightning, is like the the latest one. The latest one is People Peopled with Dreams. Okay, so I haven't listened to anything beyond Borderland. Yeah, so after Borderland, it gets it gets weirder, but I still love. It. Okay, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm loving it though. Like I, um, yeah, I just think it's, I think he's good. He's really good. He's got a really weird, like, cool sound, and then the lyrics are very interesting his voice is is mesmerizing for me when on the live version of king of my heart when he does the part that says you're never going to give up uh uh right you're never gonna let me down and when he does that comes in on the live part i it's like time freezes for me i don't know why but his, his, it's like captivating yeah. so good good recommendation Hey, what was the podcast you told me to listen to Ty, about John Mark McMillan? Pastor with no answers. Okay. Is he a guest or is he like the host? Yeah, of the so show? the Pastor with no answers. There was a podcast called Bad Christian uh, that was started by the guys in Emory that I used to really like. I don't they've they've jumped the shark in my opinion, but um, there's there was a third host on there who was he wasn't in Emory, but he was really good friends with them or something. Anyway, he's a pastor in South Carolina. And so he started his own podcast called Pastor with No Answers, and he's like he's very I would say he's on the progressive side of everything. Although he's in like an evangelical church, uh, mega church kind of thing, multi site, um, and he's one of the campus pastors. But he's like just very he doesn't think he's better than you because he's found the answer and you haven't yet. But someday you'll get there. He just is like this is what I honestly think, and if you don't think that, that's fine. Like we can disagree. So. 
I, just a plug for that podcast, I guess, but I just find it really um, entertaining to hear someone in any topic, but like you'll never get that from politics, right? But at least from like a religious perspective, someone that's like, I firmly believe this. I also firmly believe I could be wrong, but at least I'm here honestly. Like I didn't try to get to this point. It just happened. And so anyway, somehow he knew John Mark McMillan and he had him on as a guest for an episode, which was a great episode. Um, but but I guess I don't know if they just recognized their like chemistry or whatever, but he's had him. He had like a really long conversation with him and, and this other woman and they've kind of cut it and played it at the beginning of at least three episodes in a row now. Um, and I just I think John Mark McMillan explaining what he's explaining is is awesome. Nice. And and I don't I don't you know for me it's hard to not have an immediate zero to one hundred impression of something. Be like I love this, I hate this, this is stupid, this is great. Um, so I think maybe I'm drawn to people that are kind of like yeah, this is what I think. You know, this is why I'm convicted of it, but it could be wrong. And like that perspective, and that's totally John Mark McMillan on these conversations too. So I think that's another reason that I really like it. I think. The reason beyond not necessarily the actual music of his more recent albums, like uh, I really like it, but his lyrics have been like harder to follow for me and trying to under. So I I definitely want to listen to that because, you know, it it feels like his writing to me is more like poetry, I guess. So like, which I like because you have to do the work to kind of analyze what he's saying. But this kind of harkens back to our first conversation about should they have to say what the lyrics are about? Um, cause I don't, I don't necessarily want to take something to mean what it doesn't mean. And so when I was reading, I read an article, uh, that he wrote about his writing process for people with dreams, people with dreams. Yeah. And, um, and it was like bizarre, <laughs> not like, bizarre. I don't know. He was trying to describe, I guess, how he was feeling during the writing of it. And I, I couldn't follow, but he kind of made it sound like there's this long journey of introspection and reflection that ended up at the CD. But he said stuff in there that I was like, what does that actually mean? And so I was like really interested to listen to the CD, but I'd be more interested to hear him. Well, maybe not more interested, but I'd be really interested to hear him talk about what that those lyrics actually mean. So yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to check out Tyler, what you recommended because um, I'm just intrigued. So you say you're zero to a hundred on people. I am like nothing on people until they've earned their way in. You know what I mean? And then I'm like, uh, okay, yeah, I like you. But it's like for the first ugh, long time, you're mm-hmm. you're like just kind of on the fringe until until you make the inner circle, and then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, now I actually care about what you say and care about what you think. So, so I never said I was zero to a hundred on people. Uh, actually. What I said was I'm zero to hundred on every topic. So I either like I wish I was calm about every single topic, but I'm either I'm super upset about every single topic one way or the other. So it's very easy for me to raise my voice and get all like well flustered isn't the right word, but to get all into a oh, so when I debate something I take a position and then I'll fight you to the death over the position. So when I hear like that podcast where they're kind of like hey this is what I think but I could be wrong and. I'm just trying to be honest. That's so foreign to me because I'm like, here, this is what I think, and it's definitely right. And if you try to disagree with me, you're wrong. So that's what I meant by that. Um, ever since I started in ministry, I am an extreme vetter. So 
not any vetter, but an extreme vetter. Uh, <laughs> so what I do is anytime like any song comes out, like Hillsong comes out with something, like I refuse to sing something as we're in worship until I have checked the lyrics out to make sure that they are in line with scripture. And that's the same way I am. People all the time, especially as a pastor, like, oh, you got to read this book. This guy is awesome. I immediately look him up. Where did he go to school? What seminary did he attend? What's his training in? Uh, what's his theological stance? What's the mission statement of his church? If they pass those tests, <laughs> then I'm like, okay, I'll read the book. Um, but that's how I am with my music and with anything I read, essentially. Um, but I also enjoy <laughs> doing that stuff. I don't know why. But it's not like you have to earn my respect. I guess you kind of do. But I'm just I'm uh, a healthy skeptic, I think, because there's just so much stuff out there, especially with some of our worship today. That's I mean, there's a difference between Christian music and worship music. Um, and those lines can be blurred sometimes. But a lot of times we sing churches sing songs that aren't worship. They're just Christian mm-hmm. music. So anyway, Josh, to your point. So future past, right? His song future past. Yeah. So I want you guys to analyze this for me because I'm in, I'm very intrigued, and it's not even analyzed in terms of what he wrote. It's the general premise of the thing. Um, so all treasures of wisdom and things to be known are hidden inside of your hands, or hidden inside your hands. And in this fortunate turn of events, you asked me to be your friend. Okay, how uh, my assumption there is he's speaking of God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because of what he talks about mm-hmm. before, you hold the reins, the sun and the moon, um, blah, blah 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 blah, right? So he's talking about God. How do the two of you feel about people using God and friend in the same context, in the same, like, oh, I am a friend of God. You know, like, like I was just going to say that song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so how do you feel about that? Like, what, like what, what do you think about that? Is that an appropriate way to relate us to God? I'll let the pastor answer first. Hmm. Well, and just and just while you're thinking, um, the other one is um, uh, is it Hillsong? Oh shoot! Mm-hmm. There's another one where it's like, um, is it is it one about friends or you? Is it another? No, it, it's line it's, a, it's a line in the song about like God and us being friends, and it's it's in Hillsong, and oh, I'm gonna think of it like. Oh, you're gonna. God didn't want heaven without yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Um, you didn't want heaven without us. So you brought heaven so down. So Jesus, you brought. Yeah, heaven it's down. like, and it's like that idea. Like, so, what do you think about this idea, Josh? Go. Okay, so here's what I think. Okay, so Scripture talks about uh, that we are Jesus's friends if we do what He commands us. Right? He says, "You are my friends if you do what I command you." Um, and, and no longer do I call you, uh, what does it say? Uh, yeah, servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. Instead, I call you friends. And he says, for all I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Well, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, and Jesus is also God. So I guess you could make that connection that way. Uh, but God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit also have three different roles within the, the Trinity and so the fact that Jesus never, in Philippians, counted equality with God a thing to be grasped. Not that you have to have, be equal to someone to be friends. But at the same time, um, Jesus always treated the God the Father, I should say, with the utmost reverence um, uh, and respect, even though he willingly um, kind of subjugated himself to that. 
And so nowhere in Scripture, we, we are, when we become believers, we are called sons and daughters of God, friends with Jesus, brothers and sisters, the body of Christ, co-heirs with Christ. But we are never explicitly, I don't, I don't believe, called uh, a friend of God the Father specifically. Um, and so I, when I think of that, I love that idea that like, we were once enemies and Christ died and reconciled us, right? And so if you're not enemies, what are you, friends? I don't know if friend is the exact opposite of enemy. Um, uh, so in that sense, Jesus is also God. Um, we were enemies of God. Um, we have been reconciled. Uh, I know that like my dad and I are friends, but I don't see us as friends first. I see him as my dad and then I'm his son and I don't want to be his best friend, not because I wouldn't like to be, but I think that is a weird, um, um, that's a weird element to a father son relationship, um, and loses some of that reverence and respect. So, um, yeah, I think about that all the time. I mean, there's a, there's an element of the song friend of God that, feels like really nice you know when you're singing it's like yeah we're buddies um but at the same time like i always think about this uh leviticus and when you know moses is giving the the levites all the instructions on how to go into the presence of god with the garments and the purification and everything and before they went into the presence of god i mean they had to go undergo pretty intense um uh, like ritualistic cleaning. And so if any of that was wrong or they sinned in the presence of God or went in wrong, they were toast, right? They were smoked. So think about the awe and the reverence and the respect and the fear, not fear. I mean, also terrifying fear, I guess, but they entered into the presence of God with those high priests did to make atonement, to meet with God. And then now, since Jesus has died and broke down that barrier, the dividing wall of hostility between us and God, we can come to God wherever we are. But I still think that God demands and deserves that same reverence and respect when we come before him as the Levitical priests offered him. Um, But we are like, oh, yeah, just throw up this, you know, flippant prayer here or, oh, yeah, I'll pray for that. You know, for them, it was like we're going into the presence of the Lord and this is life or death. Now, we – I'm not saying that God wants it to be feel like a life or death thing, but I think our access to the Father has made it a less reverential, less respectful experience a lot of times. Not for everybody, but when we go into the presence of God. And I think sometimes that causes us to have songs like Friend of God where maybe if you want to get analytical about it, that statement's not wrong. But if someone, a new believer is there or someone checking out the church sings that, that could lead to some confusion and a lot longer discussion. And the idea of you didn't want heaven without us, while that's true, I mean, because he did, he he could have not created us and he could have not also redeemed us. Um, However, it also has an implicit notion in it that – he was incomplete without mm-hmm. us in heaven mm-hmm. or like we had to make his joy complete. And and so we know that God is complete in himself. He gives, but never lacks. Um, he has had complete fellowship. He is not like another God 
uh, small g god that is dependent on creation for completion. And so he would have been perfectly content, and he has been perfectly content prior well, we're thinking now in and outside of time, obviously, but you know, prior to making us, he would if he never made us, it would have never decreased or added to his happiness or joy or completion or um, um, feeling sufficient. Um, and so I think we get into some gray areas with that. And I know that line makes a lot of believers feel like, oh man, God loved us so much that he didn't want heaven without us. And so, you know, he, you know, he redeemed us. Yes. (laughs) Um, but be careful, you know, I think you're taking it, you're potentially taking it too far. It's like, we don't know why Mm -hmm. he redeemed us. Like, we don't know, like, yeah, he did that, but, uh, we don't, we can't, in my mind, we can't say that. And I know I'm, I'm picking picking in this case but that was like what you said is really really interesting yeah um yeah your whole exposition on that like that was really good i like that uh ty i'm i'm ty, I'm interested to hear what you have to say think about the friends thing i have no problem with it at all i think um if everything is about our intentions that the intentions of what we're doing um is the real truth then if i'm if I write a song and I say God's my friend and I mean it in my heart to be a really sincere gesture, I don't think I'm going to get beat up for that. I don't think God's going to beat me up for that, I guess. Although I will say that about a couple years ago, I heard this third day song um, and I got, I got every person I tried to tell this to told me I was being uh, ridiculous and nitpicky about it. But Uh, One of their songs says, To everyone who's lost someone they love long before it was their time. And I'm like, whoa, aren't you a Christian band? Like, don't you know it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment? So you can't lose anyone before it's their time. Every time someone dies is their time. And everyone's like, everyone's like, oh, you're being such a jerk in a Christian band. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. Like... Does it matter or doesn't it matter? I don't know. I, I, and I and I guess back to my original comment, like, yeah, they meant well. They're just trying to write a comforting song. But to me, whether God's our friend or not, in the sense of an earthly friend or whatever, just isn't as big of a deal to me as telling people who might not know anything about God that, like, yeah, it's possible to lose someone before it's their time because then they could be pissed at God and be like, it wasn't my son's time to die. You jerk. Third day told me that. You know, to me, that's a little bit more serious than... God's my friend or God's not my friend or whatever. Also, I'm super not Calvinistic, so we could have that debate for a whole 18 hours some other time, but uh, that was that's that's kind of how I look at it. All right, so so this is this is interesting. I like both your perspectives on this. Um, I think one of the things that so Katie went to seminary, right? And one of the best things about her going to seminary for me Right. Not only that my wife has a seminary degree, but like one of the best things is uh, she had a, a, a professor um, constable was his name. So Dr. Constable. And he has done notes on every verse of the Bible. Oh, man. I use his uh, uh, commentary for all the time. Sonic. Light. Yeah, so he's not it's not Sonic Light anymore. It's at Plano Bible Chapel dot org. Right. But it used to be Sonic Light. Like Sonic Light yeah. was where it was for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I always go to his stuff as like a, because like I respect him. I think he, like his perspective mm-hmm. is, it, it, 
I don't necessarily that I always agree with it, but at the same time, it's something that makes me think, and it always makes me think, right? And and what I what I love about like his thing on the friend side of things, right? Is this it's this idea of like abiding in someone or having fellowship with someone, mm-hmm. right? And that like all believers are technically God's friend in a sense, and this is what he says. Likewise, all believers are God's friend in one sense, but abiding believers are his like friends on a on a different level. Right, because they seek to obey him consistently. So it's like the use of the word friend in that situation isn't technically wrong. Like it's not mm-hmm. wrong. It's just not necessarily the way we always think about it as as humans. Um, it's not friends on like a hey buddy buddy, you know, like let's go out and get a pizza. But it's friend in terms of, and then if I go to like a, just a general generic definition, yeah, I was gonna say, I guess it's gonna depend on how you define friend. Yeah, like, but so so this definition, one attached to another by affection or esteem. Like when I think about, I have affection for God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, or like I have esteem for God, Jesus. So it's like if I think about it like that, yeah, that makes total sense, mm-hmm. right? Like like mm-hmm. uh, so go back going back to the lyrics. Um, and you asked me to be your friend, right? Like you asked me to have affection for you. You asked me to have esteem for you. Like you asked me to obey you. And like, and it's like in my mind, it's like, oh, okay. I'm I'm more okay with the use of the word friend there. Mm-hmm. Like in, in just friend in general. Because it's not like, it doesn't have to be just like buddy, buddy. It, it can be more, it can be heavier than that, which I like and I think is is necessary. So cool. Good talk. Thanks, guys. Now, 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 you asked about lyric, the specific lyrics. But if you're asking in general, if I think there's a lack of reverence in popular Christian music today, absolutely, a hundred percent. And the affect that people take, I, I'm gonna sound maybe I'm gonna sound like a jerk here, but I just this. If we're just being honest, I'm just gonna be honest. Um, you know, you can caveat it however you want. I I don't have their abilities. I could never do that. They're probably well intentioned. And blah 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 blah. Whatever, whatever um, things you want to put before this statement is fine. But if I'm going to be honest, the affect of people's voices drives me insane. It just feels like no one's being sincere when they sing like – when they change the way words sound in such a way that is like God. Oh, yeah. And like stuff like that. Like it just, it just makes my blood boil because it sounds like you're just trying to be like – Okay, pop music, like Lady Gaga did this thing with her voice and it was super popular, so now I'm going to do it, but I'm going to make sure I do it at the, like, I don't know, maybe it's a formula, I, I don't know, but it just, it just sound, it feels, in. I guess lying and insincerity are the two biggest pet peeves of mine in other people, and so um, insincerity especially, I just can't take it, I guess that's another form of lying really. But let me ask you this question, since since we're going here. Uh, I'd like both of your opinions on this one. So I was always in the camp um, of, you know, Ravi Zacharias said uh, bef- before hymns, you know, actually were like a sermon in a song. And now a lot of popular music is just repeating words to get an emotion. And I agree with that to an extent. But I also think, you know, uh, and, and I love hymns. I really do. Um, and I, th- I think we should make sure we never lose them. But uh just because something is a little bit different and new, as long as it's it's sincere and well-intentioned and all that kind of stuff, um, I, I don't have a problem with it, even if it's a little repetitive or whatever. Because when I think about it, like 
we act a lot of times like hymns were written by Jesus and they've been around for 2000 years unchanged, but like all hymns were new songs at mm-hmm. some point and even probably new styles of songs. You know, people like the first time people probably heard some hymn, they were like, whoa, what is this? And just because something's old doesn't automatically Ooh. venerate it. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Oh, it makes total sense. I mean, hymns, hymns were contemporary at one point, right? Like, you know, people, they were like, oh, what's this music? Why are we bringing this music into things, right? Like, I'm sure that there was a time when hymns were the contemporary thing. And, and like... I think the I, I just took a class not too long ago on history of Christianity. And for a long time, if there was sing, singing, it was the Psalms. Um, and that it, and that was it. it. And, you know, you can go to a lot of very reformed churches, and they still have no instruments and will sing only Psalms. And so you start to add the first instruments and then non-scriptural scriptural singing. Um, that that opens up a whole other thing like you were talking about. Um, but I inter- interestingly read an article from Tyler's favorite Calvinist, John Piper, um, <laughs> about uh, music, like the the exact question Tyler was, was asking about or asking us about. He essentially gave – it was just interesting. He gave the same answer – uh, boiled down that Tyler gave. Like, as long as your new music is scriptural and uh, theologically sound, it doesn't have to sound like a hymn. And coming from him, that was huge. I mean, he writes books of poetry and is obsessed with the Psalms, but he's also okay with new music that reaches today, you know? And so I think you're right. There's a progression. Um, and it's just like sharing the gospel. You know, you the message doesn't change, but sometimes the delivery and the context all, uh, changes. Okay, so so when I think about the purpose of music in our worship service, right? So I think of you know church as a worship service. Our goal mm-hmm. is to worship the Lord. Our goal is to worship God, right, and to learn about God. So, and I think learning about God is a way to worship God. But um, okay, so mm-hmm. music being a part of that worship service, I'm. I think there, I think there is a is a place for completely scriptural based worship music. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there is a place for more emotion based worship music, as long as it doesn't veer from scripture, right? Like it doesn't have to be perfect; it doesn't have to be word for word from scripture. But as long as it's not saying things that are antithetical to scripture, mm-hmm. right? Like I think that is fine. Like I don't think there's any reason why that, because if it brings me closer to God and the one I'm worshiping, I mean, why not? Right. Like, like I think that is an okay thing. Um, but then I also think that there is a line that it, it can cross. And I can't tell you like where I know that line is, but I think there is a point where you can take it too far. And like, all you care about is the emotion mm-hmm. and you're losing the truth. Like you're mm-hmm. losing, you know, the, the, um, the substance of the worship. And that's where I struggle with that whole thing is like, I don't know where that line is drawn. And like, I even, I even wrestle with, you know, Bethel and elevation and, uh, Hillsong and all those, right. Because it's like, I love the music Mm -hmm. for the sake of the music, but it's like, wait, is this, is this biblical? Like, is what, is what's happening right now? Or am I just caught up in like the moment of, uh, of the music? So, Tyler, I don't, like, I don't know if that got at exactly what you were talking about, but like that's where my head goes with this is like it's worship and it's okay. And it doesn't have to just be hymns and it doesn't just have to just be scripture. 
but at the same time there is a there's an other end of that spectrum that I think you have to be careful that you can't go too far um you didn't ask this question but one of the things that I get really really as I get older right it it bothers me more and more is like the laser light show Mm -hmm. and smoke and and that kind of stuff and it's I don't know why, but it's like that detracts me from the worship experience. And it could just be a me personal thing, right? Like that it detracts me from the, from the, the worship experience and it makes it more like a concert, you know, that I'm going to. And I, and that, that's where, like, I know that that's one of the areas where I, I tend to cross over that line. I, I just, I've always, I've posed this question a couple of times and never in a real serious way. So I don't know, but uh, like, why not? put the worship team in the back and just put the put the words up front like why does the worship team need to be up front just as someone who struggles with you know playing guitar and singing and not thinking it's a rock concert personally like if you're in the back and no one's looking and and also I have a great anxiety about everyone looking at me so it's really just the worst ends of all the spectrums at once um like why not just have the band in the back like why why do they need to be up front you know, you could have a worship leader or somebody or just nobody. Yeah, I think that's that's interesting. I've never actually thought about that, that, you know, the physical location. Um, one of the things that, that gets me and then, Josh, I'll let you go because it, it ties into this. But um, I've been to churches that don't do worship after the sermon. They just end. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> like you, you teed me up and like you taught me a whole bunch of stuff. And like I want to. I want that last experience to be worshiping the Lord via, and it's just, again, it could just be personal, right? Via singing, via just shouting out to to God. Um, so it's like I I struggle with that. Not that I wouldn't attend a church that did that, but it's like where it's like you front load all the worship and then then learn about you know the scripture or, or have have the teaching. It's like no, I want that mixed in, like or I want it either split or I want it at the end. Like I want to walk away with this reverence, with this. When I was probably a sophomore at Penn State, uh, I, I was talking with someone about a song that I wish crew would play. And he said, well, that's not a worship song. He goes, you know, there's a difference between Christian music and worship music. And he like went into this whole thing. Um, but it got me to really start thinking about it. Like what is, what is worship music? And there's a lot of songs that are really good Christian music that can get you really, really, in an emotional state that aren't worship. Worship is singing to God about God and all those songs that like I surrender or I this, like Mm -hmm. all the eyes, if you could change it, even the new song that Carrie Job has out the blessing you need to, if you, it could become a great worship song. If you changed all of the eyes in the chorus to you, I thought the same thing. I thought the same exact thing. And so I was driving with Natalia somewhere and it was on and I was like, man, it, 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 and we played it in our church as a special music thing. And for me, there's two things. One, the church, what does the church exist for? You know, uh, Jesus tells Peter, your name is Peter on this rock will be on my church. So essentially Peter is going to build the church. Well, there's a lot of debate about that or what that rock actually means. But Peter's an apostle and God, or Jesus says to them, uh, as the father sent me, so I am now sending you. And then the last instruction was to um, make disciples of all nations. Um, technically, maybe even Acts one eight, you know, you'll receive the Holy Spirit and you'll be my witnesses. 
the church is exists to lift up to glorify God and the and the church is the body of Christ in the if you look at acts 2 or acts starting in ver, or chapter 2 with the fellowship of believers and every so often you come back to this kind of thesis statement or or theme statement and many were added to their number that day and so the church exists to worship to preach the gospel and to train and equip the saints for making disciples. And so somehow I think in our American church, we've gotten away in a lot of aspects from the vision that Jesus left the disciples with or the 12 apostles with regarding the role of the church to fulfill the Great Commission, to uh, develop disciples everywhere they went, who could then entrust what they've been taught to faithful, available men and women who could then continue on doing that. And so, you know, I, the music of Bethel and Elevation and, and Hillsong is, is really good. But sometimes even the bigger picture is for me is like, what is the mission of their church? Is it to come and have this like hour long, amazing worship set with great music and, and bring in a ton of people? They have this wonderful attractional model. Um, and then have a hyped up preacher doing a lot of screaming, getting amens, but there's just no depth. And, when, and, and maybe they serve great in the community, but but is it service service with a gospel message? Is there conviction? Do do churches preach on sin? Is that even part of their liturgy? Is that part of the worship music that they have? And so I think, and I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush, but we've created, or not we, but this culture now has a lot of churches that try to be so culturally hip and relevant that the line is blurred between culture and church almost and what which is which um, to, to attract people but but we've but there, there's been created a broad broadly sewn, church with a lot of awesome worship and it's really hip to be there but there's no depth of root and that concerns me because i think there might be a lot of people out there who are being sold this thing that i'm a christian but they've never even really had the opportunity to do the deep work of analyzing what that means and receiving christ and and what happens when life doesn't go the way that i thought it would you know i don't know and so Mm. i think all that to be said, I think worship plays a huge role in that. You know, one of the last things Jesus did with his disciples before he went to the cross was sing a hymn, right? And so if it was important to Jesus to sing a hymn before he went to the cross, it should be important to us to sing a hymn to God. But I think that hymn, whether it's an old hymn or it's a song today, needs to be preparing us to exalt the Lord. You know, I always think of my worship with the first line of, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so we are supposed to make holy, sanctify, set apart, and exalt. And a lot of Christian music talks about God, and but talks more about us and um, how we want God to rescue us because I'm drowning in this thing or that thing or whatever. But it's very us-focused. Anyway, that was a tangent or a rant, but um, it's just concerns because I— we have a culture that pulls everybody away. It's trying to pull everybody to a false God or to a lesser God um, to some extent. And so I want people to be deeply rooted um, 
and their hearts to be to be to be transformed, not just to have an emotional experience. The only other thing I'll have to say about the music thing is uh, if you haven't listened to Shane and Shane's mm. Psalms albums, dude, preach. They are phenomenal. Yeah, they are like Tyler. Have you ever listened to Shane and Shane's Psalms albums? They have the the worship project or whatever it's called, where they sing like a ton of old hymns. But if they sing the Psalms, I don't know that. No, they have they have albums where they sing the Psalms. So like they've taken the Psalms and they've um, used the scripture and made them into like specific songs for like Psalm 93 or, you know, whatever it is. And it's just it's incredible. So if you haven't listened to them, go check them out. There are, there are quite a few of them, uh, quite a few of that, those yeah. albums on uh, Amazon Prime if you have that. So the one thing that um, is a caution about those albums is if you do watch any live things on YouTube of them it might take you down a rabbit hole of like five hours. So if you have something to do, mm-hmm. you might want to wait till later because it's just awesome. All right. Are we doing another topic today? I don't know. Like <clears throat> 30, 37 minutes ago, I was going to tell you how somehow I ended up looking at Chris Rock's top 25 rap albums of all time Ooh. that he, that he gave to, uh, I think it was Rolling Stone or something back in 2005. And were they were they good? Like, what's your rating? Uh, I don't know. I don't have enough of a of, of a cultural perspective to know that. I just know, like I said before, that like I love Notorious B.I.G. And so then, because of the whole East Coast West Coast thing, obviously I had to check out Tupac and all that. So I, I know those albums. But I, one person that I've always really really liked that to me seemed out of the mainstream anyway for for the people that I knew was Scarface. I thought Scarface was awesome. And uh, Chris Rock had him in the top 10, like number six. I have nothing. I have no idea who Scarface is. I don't either. You don't know who's... Oh, yeah. Scarface. Well, it's a bit of a contrast from the worship music we were just talking about, <laughs> but... Uh... Brad Terrence Jordan, a.k.a. Scarface. Nothing like... The real guy's name being Bradley. It was just Brad, but Brad Terrence. <laughs> Listen, most, most. <laughs> I, I can't say his name was Bradley. It's like, just I, don't, Brad. it's, I mean, Wikipedia, the source of all information, just says it was Brad. Okay. Hey, man, is your name Brad? Yeah. Oh, like Bradley. <laughs> no, nope. oh. no, 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 no. Sorry. I thought we were going to be friends. <laughs> oh, Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, my point was, you know, you know the thing where you like get off on some tangent on on like before it used to be on like uh, Wikipedia uh, or even before that was like Ask Jeeves and you'd like go down some weird rabbit hole. But now I've found that it's like because I don't have social media other than Instagram. And so I found that even Instagram does that now because you now people put links to their whatever and that link tree Instagram thing, mm-hmm. which makes you think it's a real website. And then you're like, well, I sort of looked this up. I better go to my Wikipedia app. And then you're on your phone for like a half an hour and you end up looking at Chris Rock's top 25 rap albums from 2005. I mean, top 25, his top 25 favorite. Um, NWA was his number one, by the way. Really? Yeah, I've never, I've never listened to them. Me either. Uh, B.I. B.I.G. wasn't on the list at all, so I was a little upset. Really? About that. That's interesting. So, but my my whole point was that that it's become so much easier to like just lose yourself um, in like what the heck is going on 
I thought I was just looking at some posts on Instagram, and now I'm reading 15-Year-Old Opinions by Chris Rock. Well, it, it, that's true, man. Like, and I don't care what platform you're on, that it's it's so... I don't know. It, like, It's so weird how how good they are at sucking you in, or at, like how good they are at keeping you there. And when I say they, I mean any of those platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook... YouTube, right? Like I Josh, when you had said about this the Psalms album, I thought you were gonna say like don't look it up on your primary account because then all you'll get is Shane and Shane music for the next oh. eight years because that's what YouTube does, right? Like yep. you know, I look up I look up, you know, seeding the lawn and next thing I know I'm I've got lawn care guys, you know, in every other video on my feed. But Tyler, I agree with you completely. And and the problem with it is is if you go down the wrong rabbit holes, it can really like mess with your brain. Like it can really oh, yeah. like screw. I don't want to say screw you up, but it's like it can really like have a negative impact on you. Yeah, yeah, especially because I think that a lot of the conspiracy theory stuff, which like I find it hard for me because I do think that things are not what they seem. But I again, being zero to one hundred, it's hard for me to even like try to go down that rabbit hole because then I'll end up as a conspiracy theorist. So, which I listened to another really interesting podcast on like this guy did a research on conspiracy theories and like when the term started becoming popular and stuff. Cause he said, you know, just inevitably some of them are, are true. So they're just, there are conspiracies. <laughs> like those aren't conspiracy theories anymore. They're just conspiracies. But anyway, um, so I don't really get into it that much because because if I critically think about any topic at all, um, I'm like, yeah, of course there's stuff going on. Like it just makes sense in the background that we don't we don't know about. But to fully get into like to to give into the like everything is something that that's behind the scenes that we can't understand is like. I don't have the energy for that. But Corey, I was wondering because you you talk to people um, about the internet and about this kind of stuff a little bit or at least more than I think Josh and I probably do. Do you think that like what you were mentioning about YouTube and all that, is that just because these these companies have given over to the algorithms, whether that's the platforms or the ad agencies, whoever's doing the the content, do you think that they've given themselves over to the algorithm or do you think there's like actual people behind it still that are driving things certain ways. Uh, yes. I think both of those are true. Um, I think next quarter profits, which Tyler, I know you know what that means. Josh, are you familiar with next quarter profits? No. So, okay. So when you have shareholders and a board and all those things, um, a lot of what you do are for your next report oh, to yeah, show yeah. that you're making profits, right? So yeah. um, when you're thinking about, where do we take the company? What are we trying to do? You're thinking about things that either increase your next quarter profit, right? Or show that you are making steps towards potentially increasing your next quarter. You know, so it's like, I think that drives a ton of stuff, right? So with YouTube, social media, Facebook, you're like those type of things. It's not necessarily like the money end of it is going up, but it's attention. It's how how long are they spending on the platform? How many li- how many links do they click on while they're engaged in the platform? Like it's all this engagement. So it's like Tyler, yes, I think that and like I would lump that into what you called the algorithm, but it's like it's all of those metrics of you know what you measure is is what matters, and that's what they're trying to measure because that's what they report out to 
shareholders and that's what they report out to potential investors and that, and that's that 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 matters to them but then i've seen trusted resources look into um are there people who are manipulating it right to really mess with people and to mess with situations and mess with real life event real life events and yes they are like 100% without a doubt there are entire organizations out there whose sole job is to increase this post's popularity or to, you know, move this thing from, like, they get it super popular in one wing of, you know, um, Twitter, let's say, right? And then their whole goal is to shift it over into the other other wing. So it's like you get, you know, 15,000 likes on something, and then you somehow get it over into that other channel of thinking, because mm-hmm. then that channel goes, oh, well, 15,000 likes, that, that it must be, you know, this must be what I'm supposed to think. And really, the 15,000 likes came from somebody, somewhere else. I, I, I listened to a guy talk, and he runs a company, not a company necessarily, but like part of his business, part of what he does for a living, is he gets Twitter accounts super popular, and then he sells them to people. And like, that's his whole job, right? Like, his whole job is to get... You know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand followers, and then he sells it to somebody who wants a Twitter account. Because once you have that, you've built critical mass, and like the snowball just rolls downhill from there. It's like people look at you and they go, "Oh, they must they have seventy five thousand followers. I must like they must be saying something interesting." When really they bought an account that had fifty thousand. You know, and it's like so. Yes, both of your things that you're saying, Tyler, I think are true. I listen to the podcast, whatever it is, like how things are made or or something like that on how Instagram uh, was developed and the two guys who, who uh, discovered or not discovered but created it. You need to listen to that. It's it's awesome. I mean it's part – for me, it feels like a part of a, a mix of a part of really hard work and then I feel like all great ideas with like that one moment that was just very fortunate where you're like, oh gosh, this is amazing. And okay. okay, so if you aren't just like a food, you know, you don't like one of those people that just takes pictures of your food or one of those mm-hmm. people that just takes pictures of your kids. And I don't have any idea what you guys post on Instagram. Not much. My kids eating food. <laughs> like if you're if you're one of the places that like is trying to post information on Instagram, so you have to make a graphic for every time you post, right? Like because you have to post some visual attached to it, don't you? No, you can just post your own picture and that's it. Uh, but there has to be a picture. Like you can't just post text like Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, well, you, that's you the can, gram part of Instagram, yeah, right? Yep. So you have to, like a lot of people will post like a black screen that they like with white writing or whatever, or a picture of their writing. So they like screenshot it, I guess, and then post that. And then they write a post about that post, <laughs> that picture, I guess. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I really feel like an old person and I really, yeah. The whole thing, the reason the whole thing started was because it was just meant to be like a, not a Facebook. Like you share a picture and like a cool caption and their whole thing that set them apart at first was they had filters. And that's actually how they became Instagram because these two guys had created like a, a, a photo sharing app that was like not – was was meant to be used among friends to just like share photos while they're out around town and like, you know, have a quick caption, like here I am, you know, apparently when they developed it, 
it, they they gave it to some of their friends to see what they thought, and it like ballooned up to like five thousand people or something like that. So they went to this like investors conference, and the investors were like, "We'll give you money, but you need to get up, hit the like this threshold of people before we invest." And so I guess things were like going. This was like three years ago. I listened to this, so I got some stuff wrong, but things weren't going great, and they were struggling trying to think of what would make them unique. And so they decided, I guess, to like take a break from developing and take go down to Mexico on vacation, like the two dudes and their wives, I think, and like just get away for a bit. And the one guy was walking along the beach, I think, with his wife, and his wife said, "Hey, take a picture of me," and he did. And she came and looked at it, and she's like, "You know, it'd be really cool with that." And he was like, "What? If you could put like different filters on it?" And then boom, the dude went and wrote code, came back, and that's what exploded. Because they started out with like six different filters that you could use on, and like kind of change the photos. And I remember early on with Instagram, that was like the cool thing. Like, oh, I can make this black and white. I can do that. And now that Facebook bought it, I think they're trying to add more, a lot more of the social media elements to it rather than just being what it kind of was originally, I think. Mm. Okay, so let me let me jump in and go back to something that Corey said earlier that I don't even think he, he really meant to say. But – I think it's become the, the, the go-to when you're talking about social media stuff. So the whole idea of memes and like not just memes of like cats or like whatever, but actual ideas like the original Richard Dawkins version of memes. Um, do, do you really think that that is true? Do you know people that are like, well, I was going to vote for Hillary, but I saw this story on Twitter that she actually ate six children when she was growing up and she ritualistically sacrifices to goats. Like, is that real? People really did that? Bought into that? Okay, okay. I don't think it's that blatant, personally. Um, I think it's it's much more subtle than that, Tyler. Like, I think it's like... Um, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I see what you're saying. So let me rephrase, okay? Do you think a lot of people were like, wow, I just saw on Twitter that Hillary's position on NAFTA changed from 2003 to 2007. I better vote for Donald Trump. Like, really? Mm-hmm. The people that are the people that are consuming news from Twitter and Facebook are that nuanced in their policy decisions that one and, and yet so dumb that they think that those are real news articles. Okay, okay. So one, I don't think you're saying – I don't think it's fair to say that they're that dumb. And I don't know if you meant that. But it's like I don't think it's that fair. I think it's – I here's where I think it happens is it's this herd mentality idea, right? It's this oh, – what am I thinking? Like this echo chamber, this in-group mentality where it's not necessarily that you sway anybody's opinion but you close the mind of them even entertaining any other opinions, Right. Okay. So the the real example was Crooked Hillary or or the example I'll give you is Crooked Hillary. Right. It isn't necessarily that anybody that anybody jumped ship to Crooked Hillary. It was like, you know, I knew there was something weird about her. Maybe this stuff's right. Like maybe what they're saying is like, that's interesting. Like or like, uh, you know, I, I thought something I thought something was strange. Right. Or, you know, Trump being, you know, somebody who just got what he got from his from his dad or or whatever you know like he inherited everything he has it's like i think you can you can keep people in a box or keep people in a circle because there are a bunch of other people there telling you that like they're telling you and they're influencing and you you see it and we know this with the stuff you put in your mind influences what comes out of you right like like if i'm every day 
being fed a lie that I'm stupid, right? Or I'm being fed a lie that like I have no value and that I have no worth. I don't care how strong I am. I don't care how, you know, um, strong willed I am. That's going to, it's going to put a dent in my armor, right? Like I'm going to come out at some level and go, ah, you know what? Like I kind of do suck in a couple of different ways or like these things just aren't awesome. Yeah. But here's where I'll, here's where I'll split hairs. That's personal stuff. Like I could be convinced if I'm told over and over again, because I, where like I might care in the moment about who wins the presidency, I always care about my opinion of myself. So if you consistently tell me something that's not true or is true about me, this I could believe it and it could be a lot more devastating. But like I just feel like people are so polarized that yeah, it's reinforcing your echo chamber for sure. But I don't think that whole they they said like. Uh, 45% we're going to vote one way, 45% the other way, and that 10% is who you're really trying to reach. I think mm, 60% of that 10% just like being in the 10% so much that they just say they are, but they also have a team. Mm. So I think there's like mm, 3 or 4% nationally that you could actually reach, you know, maybe less than that. I think a lot of people that say they're independent just do that because they think that's cool to say they're independent. Um, but I think they already have their minds made up. I'm sure that I'm sure that I'm missing something in that perspective, but that's just how I feel about it. So, I, but I do I do think it's probably a bigger percentage than I give credit for people that do that. Um, and I, I just kind of I throw that viewpoint out. So that's probably on you know something that I need to think more about. I get manipulated by certain things on social media, right? Like, and sometimes it's. Um, I get reaffirmed. It's like, yeah, yeah, stick it, stick it to that person, you know, like or whatever. As I see two people interact or, uh, or or what it is. Um, other times it's like, well, how do I really feel about that? You know, that person brings up an interesting argument, and like in my mind, those are the good ones where I can say, you know, how do I really feel about that? Like, okay, that was a, that was actually a good counter argument to that that I hadn't thought about. How do I really feel about that? Um, mm-hmm. I I hardly ever so Tyler maybe this is to your point as I'm thinking about it I hardly ever jump ship like I hardly ever like make it over the wall to the other side and go oh yeah by that you know that that one interaction or that you know one post that somebody makes or something like that but I could see myself um swaying back and forth because of what I'm reading or what I'm seeing happening on social media like I don't think the sway is like necessarily that great right now, but I'm older because I'm, I'm set in certain things in my life, right? Like, like certain ways and certain thoughts I have are more set because I've wrestled with them before. Like I've had time to, to think through that. If you're young, right. And you're really in your formative mm-hmm. years and you're trying to figure some of this stuff out. I think it could, I think it could really sway you uh, big time. Yeah, I agree. And that goes along with that herd mentality yeah. you're talking about before. Herdimmunitypod.com.